This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. The time is now 13 minutes past the hour of 11 o'clock on this fifth day of February. Listen, uh, as we know, we love love here in Power Talk. And so I'm, I was looking for some quotes and, and I love that this one merges the two things, the conversation we're having now and the fact that this is Valentine's month. So three things you should never break, Owen. Never break a promise, mm-hmm. someone's trust, mm-hmm. or someone's heart. But we're going to stay on the never break a promise. And Anthony Hitt said, keep every promise you make and only make promises you can keep. There's nothing that compels you to promise things if you know you don't have the capacity to do it. No is also an answer. I cannot is also an answer. I'm not yet able to do it. I can't afford it. Those are also answers. So keep every promise that you make because it means you've calibrated the costs and only make promises you can keep. Now, we're in an election cycle right now uh, without the date of the election yet to be proclaimed, but we know that anywhere between the 10th of May and the last day of August is when we can expect a national election in South Africa. And so between now and then, we are likely to hear all manner of promises being made to the electorate. It was in 2019 where the president arrived in Alexandra Township and promised a million houses. And only now in recent weeks are we seeing sot turnings in Kimberley, for instance, 4,000 rands in a housing project. He went to KZN, promised uh, members of the Shemba Church uh, homes for them. You know, where are those one million houses? But it was also just a couple of days ago that the leader of the EFF said that if the EFF won an election, they would not do away with grants, uh, especially the social distress and relief grant, the 350. They would keep 350, but there would be a rising scale. 350 for people who do not have a metric, he said. 2,000 for those with a metric. And those who get a degree, 5,000 rands. And yet when you do the numbers of affordability, let alone a finance minister who has said South Africa is literally teetering on the brink of a fiscal cliff and they're not even sure whether in April there would be sufficient money to pay all public servants their wages. Where would a 5,000 for all graduates come from, 2,000 for all matriculants? So it's those kinds of things that we are discussing here Today, what have politicians promised South Africans during an election cycle and who has delivered on what pledge? And let me tell you, they've all promised, all of them, green, red or blue. Zonke bonke. Sandy Leswana, good morning. (laughs) Good morning, Lerato, and good morning to your listeners, it's always great having you. So I'm not sure if I've spoken to you this year. So I know it's late, but compliments of 2024 may it be a blessed year for you. Thank you. May God bless you too. Thank you, sir. So obviously we are now going into an election season. We're going to hear many, many things said. How can the electorate decipher truth from fiction? Mm. 
Lerato, I can't hear you. Hello. Hello, sir. I was saying we are going into an election year. We're already in it, really. 30 years of democracy. Um, between now and day of elections, how can the average South African decipher what is true from what is fiction? Um, I think that uh, there the, the, the are different ways of looking at that. One of them, uh, which I was asking this Rising Zanzi Fellows uh, last week Friday, was, uh, okay, first of all, what is in the package? In other words, if I'm an average, so what an average fellow out there, what is in the packet? Because the truth of the matter is that when we went into the struggle, there were certain specific things that we needed. Mm-hmm. One of them was that we did have a sense that the education we're getting was not up to standard in terms of we didn't have science laboratories in the schools and things like that. So if you say you are going to be helping me, uh, what is it that is going to be in the package? So uh, then we look at that. Then we look at the history. For instance, some of these people you are mentioning, these parties that mm-hmm. you are mentioning, have got a history. What is their history in delivering those things uh, that are in the package? You know, uh, for instance, uh, I tried to count here with the ANC that in their last packet there were about seven things that they wanted to bring us. So then you can ask them, what is their track record? I'll just make an example. For instance, they said creating new and decent jobs. Mm. So in 2019, I was unemployed. My cousins were unemployed. It's 2024, the five years is over. We, we, We are unemployed, we're unemployed then. So if somebody says we're going to create new jobs, I remember Sir Ramaphosa and Alex saying, around them, uh, but till today that has not happened. So you need to look because you call a person a, a, a liar once you see that they are lying. So you need, you cannot call somebody a liar who did not lie at all. So when people talk about things that never happen, and both of you agree that this never, you promised this and it never happened, then, then we know it's not going to happen in the future. Mm. So, uh, so those would be some of the things, but uh, we will come back to that because I did want to comment on these seven promises that were made by the guys who took power in 2019. Yeah. Okay. So, so what you're saying is as members of the electorate, we should be able to go through promises uh, that were made, manifestos, utterances, and juxtapose it to our lived realities. That's all people need to do. If parties came to campaign in Alexander and promised water, running piped water, and there's no piped water, you can confirm that that is a promise not fulfilled. If houses were promised and you've seen no development of a housing uh, project anywhere within a square mile, you can draw that conclusion. And we can even go to some of the more high-level issues as well, whether we're talking about land reform, uh, utterances, decent jobs to be created, or a process like 
even if it's land reform, did it happen with or without expropriation? What was the caveat? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, so so I, I over time, um, came to the conclusion that the issues that, because this comes from a background of struggle, really, that we're first complaining about under apartheid. Actually, when you just forget about big political ideologies, we were complaining about the standard of living and the quality of life. That actually, first of all, we are just not happy with our living conditions. Secondly, we are not even happy about the fact that we know that there are people who are getting these things we, we, we want to get such as the white people in South Africa, that we're not getting. We can see exactly what it looks like. For instance, growing up, I liked rugby. So I could go to some of the suburbs and see the type of ground the, the young white kids are enjoying. And, I, and the clothes that only rugby field blacks could go to in those days was in Dobsonville. And I was staying in rugby. Mm. So you go there once in a blue moon and so on and so forth. So, um, so you cannot talk... Even if you are a great theoretician, you cannot talk about things that cannot be tested concretely or examined concretely or eventually experienced in the real world. Okay. So let's do this. Let's start off with the ANC as the governing party because, uh, to be fair, they're the ones who will bear the brunt of promises met or not promises met because they're the ones who are the majority party in parliament and in the executive. So a lot of policies should align with their manifesto. So I'm just also going to give you another loaded uh, statement and then you can respond. So we are also observing 30 years of democracy, uh, the promise of 1994. And the... Um, the Institute, known as the Studies in Poverty and Inequality Institutes, has done a beautiful uh, comprehensive executive summary of promises from the Mandela era all the way through. And simply put, in 1994, the very first democratic elections, the promises that were embedded in the ANC manifesto uh, for the Mandela administration were the introduction of free health care, particularly for pregnant women and children, reconciliation and national unity, school feeding schemes for children in need, clean water and electricity to communities that didn't have it, generating real economic growth in the country, eradicating poverty, improving rural infrastructure, providing decent sanitation and housing. That's all embedded in the 94 manifesto. By the time the 99 manifesto came, the Tabombeki uh, years, um, it was still very much predicated on this blueprint of the manifesto of 1994, but introducing programs to speed up the service delivery for the provision of housing, stimulus for the economy, the gear era, for instance, and then also uh, an expanded public works program, etc., etc., to then uh, make the actualization of these programs uh, doable. You then get to 1999 and 2004, and again, it's about acceleration, ASGISA, um, uh, and the like. Then you get to 2009, excuse me, and this is where you have, in this issue of creating decent jobs, you have an expanded public works program. 
2009 is also where the National Health Insurance Phase 1 was mooted. Then it was the issue of training systems and TVET colleges and to prioritize rural development in the fight against unemployment. And then you move on to post that administration um, uh, and then the 2019 manifesto. And in between 2009 and 2019 um, was all the building blocks of doing feasibility studies on an NHI. Um, It was the introduction of a national development plan to measure job creation and infrastructure programs. Uh, and it was also uh, allocating more resources for healthcare and education and those social, are you laughing, and those social uh, programs. And then you get to 2019. It's all of the above, plus uh, a promise of accelerating the rate of employment by 275,000 jobs. So over time, you've seen that the principles are the same, but it's been the mechanism of trying to improve capacity in government to pursue the projects that will create jobs, um, that will stimulate the economy, reversing maybe one program for another, gear, for instance, then being replaced by something else, but in the main, we have seen healthcare for women and children. We have seen more electricity being provided for people, even if we've got the lights out at ESCOM. We have seen school feeding schemes. Um, reconciliation, I think that's a hard one to measure. But you do see more integration in and around us. We're looking at the sports teams. Um, I don't know whether we've seen proper rural uh, infrastructure improvements. Uh, you know, uh, and I'm not, and we have seen. Uh, the promulgation of the National Health Insurance Phase 1. So we have seen some of these things come to life. Sandy Leswana? Yes. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Hey. So what I want, uh, just to take some of your last points, uh, when you say we have seen, for instance, electrification, we've seen water, yeah. I think we've seen a lot of stuff. For that, uh, for me to answer that, that kind of idea is that even the student who gets 10% in an exam, in a final year mark, a final exam, hmm. uh, got marks. They attended school and they got marks. The only problem is that they actually have paid. They got the one who got 95% also got marks. So it's, it's, it's very critical that uh, politicians and the voting public understand that we are not actually just wanting you to be active, that you must just be active and do something and we must see something. It must be something specific and I'm going to be more specific about this. Yeah. So when you go to the issue of creating new and different jobs, the last manifesto, I think it said they are going to create 275,000 jobs in a year. Each year. Mm. Now, the problem is that they do not say how big is the problem of unemployment. As an example, today, the unemployment, total unemployment is about 12 billion people who are unemployed, uh, more than 11 million. So 
So the new entrance into the job market is about 600,000 per year. So if you want to actually make sure the new entrants are low, all of them have jobs. It means the minimum number to create is 600,000. Then the backlog of jobs or the long-term unemployment will not increase, which has been the problem in South Africa. That we started with about 4.6 million people unemployed in 1994. We are now at about 12 million, which means more or less, roughly speaking, it's about three times more. So to cut the backlog, you must now take maybe at least 1.5 million out of the backlog of 12 million. So the 600,000 plus the 1.5 million, that's 2.1 million jobs. And you now compare that to the 275,000 jobs. Then you see that actually, if we adhere to this policy, we are actually going to, into deeper and deeper crisis. Mm. And indeed, that crisis has deepened over the past 30 years, and it has deepened over the last the, 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 term, the, the, the first term of Ramaphosa, it has actually gotten worse. Okay. So, so, so that is the problem. We don't want somebody, even if he created one job, we would have seen something. But we don't want to just see something. We want the baseline, and we want to know by how much are you going to cut into the backlog in all these categories. Mm. Okay. We're in conversation with Sandy Laswana, political and uh, governance analyst, as we talk about how to weigh up Things politicians say, the things that they do, when they overpromise and they underdeliver, at least there's some delivery. When they overpromise and do nothing, then there's no delivery. And when they outright lie, time for the news. Thought-provoking conversations with Lirato Mbele, 9 a.m. to midday. Absolutely. It is 35 uh, minutes after 11 o'clock. I believe that's called 25 to noon. Thank you very much to Nyaka Lotefa. We're in conversation with Sandy Leswana, a governance analyst, political commentator um, from the Witz School of Governance. And we're really talking about how to decipher and gauge what politicians are telling you. And they're going to be telling you many, many things in this election year. But also when you're sitting and thinking, I don't know who to vote for. Well, then all you have to do is say, what have I been promised and what has been delivered? And then you will know whether you're talking about people who keep every promise they make or make promises they can keep or stretch themselves far beyond, as Anthony Hint has said. So, uh, Sandy Leswana, we've been sort of gauging what the ruling party has promised, under-delivered, promised, not delivered on, promised and re-evaluated along uh, a channel of almost 30 years in governance. And, uh, you know, we established there was a time where you know, they could meet quite a lot of their own strategic imperatives. But when they realize it was difficult, then they readjust policy or or beef up capacity to see if they can get some things done. Uh, but what you were saying is in the current administration, it's not even that. It's just absolutely adding to the 
list of promises, things that are completely highly unlikely. And listeners of Power 98.7 using our Twitter X page have said, even the president has promised lifestyle audits. We haven't seen them. He's promised performance appraisals for members of his executive. And then he announced a month ago that he won't be publishing those audits because he doesn't want to embarrass them. So it's, it starts with small things like that to big, big programs like job creation. Yeah, uh, you see now, there could be another issue that you are raising there, uh, which is uh, uh, the word I would want to remove is starting with small things. Mm, okay, fair uh, enough. Uh, yeah, so, there's, but there's a part to that that is, is, has got a bite to it, which is to say, If you are an elected government or a state president, uh, you cannot tell a small lie. Mm -hmm. Uh, In fact, you shouldn't tell lies at all. So we can't create your lies and say this one was a small one, this one was medium, that one was bigger. Uh, You should not be getting us into the field of lies. I mean, I listened to a video uh, in the past few weeks where the president went to the... World Economic Forum or something, and, and said, you know, there's a miracle that we've done in South Africa that we've got together and formed this consortium, whatever it was, and we finished with load shedding. Mm-hmm. And, and in a short space of time, the load shedding crisis got worse. So, so there are so many things that have been not happening. Uh, so there is the issue that any person who is leading us should not lie to us. So the promises which you mentioned as well should rather be fewer than that every other five years you increase them. The, the promises should be precise, five promises that are quantifiable, and we get them done. So, uh, and some of the things uh, capitalize on the ignorance of the of the masses. For instance, you and I can debate. I would say to you, I'm reading. I'm reading from their manifesto. Raise 1.2 trillion in new investments over four years as part of our plan to grow the economy. Mm. If you then look at the OECD countries and other people where this. Uh, uh, you know, press cross capital formation is about 20% of GDP or in that range. Then you say 1.2 trillion probably should be done in one year to be raised and invested in one year, not in five years. So a president stands up to the public and mentions the word trillion to the South African. Uh, but they don't know how much it should have been in the first place. Mm. just a trillion. That's an unthinkable figure. Mm. But it's like you have high blood pressure, you are given a tablet, and you are taking a quarter of that tablet. But you are supposed to take one tablet a day. You are taking a quarter every day of the tablet. So your mm-hmm. tablet lasts four days, but the blood pressure is going out of control. So some of the lying is about misleading people uh, on the basis that they don't even know what it is that they are talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, build a social compact on infrastructure investment with business and organized labor to finance key economic and social infrastructure. Re- uh, not long ago, again, 
Tabombeki said there is a problem because this social compact is not in place. On the other hand, business has confirmed that they've got capital reserves that they would like to invest in partnership with the government. But there's no compact. Now there's no framework for investment. Till today, Ramaphosa did not answer that challenge that Tabombeki put, that where is this social compact? <laughs> so that's another way of misleading people. You say you're going to do it, and it never, ever gets done. And you never give an explanation why it's not get done. And in fact, you should not be get, giving an explanation. You should be getting it done. So, so those are some of the, the issues that we have to, to deal with. Mm. Are these things made in clear enough terms that I can sit in Umlazi and know exactly what I'm going to get and by when? Okay. And, and if you don't have those proper frameworks, almost, almost in a legal document like a social compact, don't speak to it at all because then it is really betraying trust, is what you're saying. Yes. Okay. Uh, and we need to raise this because, uh, uh, we are now having younger guys, uh, if you want to call them that, they are newer guys, the songers or ZBs of this world, uh, the others who have not been leading on the high-profile level in terms of governance in the country. So we need to get them on the right foot. Mm. I'll, make a, I'll make another example of this. In their economic uh, section of this thing, that uh, this manifesto of 19, uh, and, and it says an economy for all. That's what it's titled, that's the topic. Now, uh, we know from the, that study that was done by Harvard that there is no economy for, for all. Basically, economic apartheid is getting worse in South Africa. Uh, but there's a statement here. It says allocate 30% of government spend to small business and cooperatives and encourage the private sector to do the same. Right. So which means, by and large, you want to use your procurement budget for empowerment of the local economy, uh, small businesses, entrepreneurs, and all that. But I want to tell you something concrete about it. So I had a consultation of consultants with the Gauteng government, the Department of Economic Development. Then I discovered that they are the custodians of black economic empowerment. And at that time, which was probably two, three years back, they were going to do their first audit since 1994. Uh, their first B audit to determine whether they are complying themselves as a department with the PE. In other words, the allocations that need to go to mm-hmm. black businesses and other SMEs and so on and so forth. Out of the whole housing at that time, only about two, two departments had ever done any PE audit. Right. And the government department in charge of making sure everybody else complies with PE was going to do its PE for the first, PE audit for the first time. There was no economic map of South Africa, of, of Soweto to say in Soweto, mm-hmm. in Orlando West, in this street, these are the businesses that you have. And these are their capabilities. Therefore, when we want to empower them, we already know where to find them. Uh, if we want to assist them to rise up to the capacity, minimum capacity we want, we know where to find them and who they are. The last thing I will say about this, in the same department, which is basically the largest economic department in the country. Mm. Uh, 
they didn't have the data to fit their economic uh, uh, modeling system. They had a third of the data they needed to do the modeling. And they have never had a complete set of data to model Gosh. the economy of health. Which then, okay. which then so, makes you wonder what's the work of something like a planning commission and an evaluation and monitoring ministry if you don't even have just simple data of the largest uh, high-density area in the biggest metropolitan uh, city of the country? You see, a lot of us were shocked when Tabombe recommended on this planning commission matter. When he said the MDP is a Tamsa. Yes, and the reason why it is a thumbs up is because you cannot do something in the economy that is not specific. In other words, if we are going to develop ship farming, I'm just making an yeah. example, ship farming in Ranfontein, we're not going to say just in the Western, at some point it must say Ranfontein, and there must be some identifiable place that, okay, we have some 600, uh, some 6,000 hectares mm. or 60,000 hectares that we've identified that where this thing is going to happen. Otherwise, the whole thing remains a fine the sky. <laughs> right? And there is a complaint, and, and maybe I might as well throw this in here, you know, uh, uh, in all these things, because this one touches on a number of these topics. That I had a meeting a few years back with the chief procurement officer of South Africa, And in that meeting, it became clear that, you know, at least about 15% of the procurement spend, that procurement spend would be around 800 billion per annum. Around 15% of that budget every year is non-value added. Now, which means uh, there is nothing in the state, there's nothing the state gets for spending that money. The money spent goes to private companies, but the state gets nothing in return. Now, I calculated this money. So, and then I, I came to the conclusion that if I'm extremely conservative, it's about 6 billion rand a month. Mm-hmm. On the high end, 12,5 billion rand a month. And at that time, the argument was whether uh, we can afford free education for our children, yeah. higher, the, the, the tertiary education. And the amount that they were chasing days at about was 12 billion. And they were wasting, and they continue to do so even now as I speak to you. There is about 12 billion per month that is getting wasted in our procurement system. Money that is already there. Because once money is in the procurement system, it's actually hard cash. It's there. Okay. You don't have to raise it. It's there. So there's a lot of programs that we say cannot be affordable to us, but, but we never discuss okay. about the waste, the money that is being misdirected, and it's been measured, All right. already been measured. We know where it is getting lost. We know exactly what is happening with it. We know how to stop it. But we're not doing that. Yeah. We are okay. going all over and say there's a shortage of money. And an, an accountability variable. And of course, this is, you know, where, you know, documents like an Auditor General's report comes into play because there you can literally just follow the money trail and see whether or not you're looking at uh, proper governance of public resources, wastage, irregular expenditure, uh, possibly even fraud. I want to move on beyond what the governing party, ruling party. I'm always fascinated by, by by the semantics of this. But in any case, let's move beyond what has been promised 
by the ANC and in particular by this ANC president? Because from what you're saying, Mr. Ramaphosa uh, seems to have a little bit of a Pinocchio um, tendency. I was going to say a nose, but I think that might just be a bit rude. But he's got a bit of a Pinocchio tendency uh, to over-exaggerate. Let's talk about what other parties do in the name of populism. So uh, the Wits School of Governance once did... um, uh, an article, William Gumete once wrote an article, uh, comparatively looking at false promises across election campaigns, not just in South Africa, but across the world. And in this one article, which then was published in the Sunday Times Daily in the UK, uh, he says, you know, um, the EFF are also very good at being populist much like the ANC are good. And he says, in the local government elections of year 2021, um, the EFF, in a local government election, promised that were they to win a municipality in the local elections, they would increase social grant payments by 100%, particularly for children, and will also disburse money for free education and higher education, water and power for all social grant recipients. Now, the problem with this is at a local municipal level, no political party has the authority to influence what's happening at a treasury budgeting and social development level. Local government does not disperse legally and constitutionally social grounds. So you can't enter a local election and make those kinds of utterances. And then almost on cue, the EFF just recently repeated um, some statements about what they would or wouldn't do in a national election for grant recipients. And one of them being 350 for matric, 2000 for uh, a matric, 5000 for a tertiary qualification. And yet when you look at the numbers fiscally, it's just mathematically not possible. Yeah. You see now, uh, less than um, this. That one is a common problem, the first one you tell me. To say the manifesto itself must correspond, first of all, with the Constitution of the Republic of South Africa. Secondly, it must correspond with the existing laws of the Republic of South Africa that govern whatever the topic is. So, when you are going to talk about municipal elections, for instance, Gaten McCain, and you've mentioned the EFF, will come back to that, mm-hmm. saying he's going to bring God into the schools, uh, he's going to deport, as soon as he's elected, he's going to deport foreigners. That is not the job of the municipality in terms of the primary laws that govern municipalities, the constitution, the municipal systems act, the municipal uh, uh, structures act, the MFMA, and so on. Uh, so when you talk about money, again, the monies of South Africa are governed by very specific laws. Uh, some of them are well known, which we can mention. The Public Finance Management mm-hmm. Act, Municipal Finance Management Act, the Division of Revenue Act, and so on. So, a person really and truly should first align themselves with existing laws. The second thing that they must do, uh, some of it you touched on, 
align yourself with the existing reports and recommendations of the Auditor General for that particular entity. So if you are at the Tobo Trump Municipality, wherever you are, what is the Auditor General about these topics that you want to discuss? Then there are others that deal reports, that, is, that deal with infrastructure and so on, so that readily verified information and recommendations find themselves in the manifestos of these parties, and there is realism about it, so that the backlogs that have been already identified by the engineers, identified by the auditors, and so on, are the ones that are receiving attention. So to try and say, what can I say to a crowd now? What can I say to this crowd now? That is going to always lead to problems. Mm. Mm. Okay. And it's not just, you know, the Patriotic Alliance or the EFF being populist over issues that are very, very emotive um, in the country, whether it's immigration or social grants, even the DA. I mean, I recall Nehau, uh wanting to lead a march against the DA around how they'd promised that anybody who lives within the Western Cape would be assured uh, that they have uh, quality of services and jobs. And they said, you know, it, it can't be. No, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I was interviewed um, concerning the city of China where the DA is ruling, has been ruling for some time, actually has been governing, I think, since 2016 or something mm-hmm. like this. And, and I was puzzled really, how they could get uh, that mess going, let's call it that. Yeah. Whereby they take over a municipality uh, after the 2021 election, but they take it over from a previous DA municipality. So this is a DA elected municipality, the DA continues in government. Then the mayor pays the first year of a wage agreement, skips the second year, uh, and then wants to dispute the third year and what have you and what have you. It's a signed three-year agreement. And you paid the first year, which was signed by your own people without this agreement. Now, down the road, you want to query the agreement. And then there was a big strike. I'm sure you saw the big fiasco mm-hmm. in China. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, how do you go and sign? And it's one thing to make a promise. But when you've already signed the agreement, then they go and submit documents to show that they can't afford this money. Then the documents they submit show that they actually have got the money to pay the workers. And implicate themselves further. So you ask yourself, where is the integrity in all of this thing that is happening? And this issue of integrity, and, and I'm sorry to, you know, uh, might be digressing to another topic, but, uh, I mean, you touched on this issue of reconciliation in South Africa. Yes, yes. Uh, but, but the there ca- are people sorry, who but the caveat, the world. But the caveat is that it was an ANC election promise 1994. It's not that the others <laughs> entered that fray. Yes, but the issue of reconciliation, in my judgment, is an issue that is permanently with all South Africans. Or, or should we should be busy with it, mm-hmm. all of us. Now, then you have people that go around saying there's genocide in South Africa. 
Yes. And they even go to the United States to go yes. and mobilize people to, yes. on the topic that yes. there's a genocide in South Africa that needs attention. Yes. Others go around saying there is farm uh, murders that are happening. Uh, and so on and so forth. I mean, recently I was reading and uh, listening to a, a, an interview that since this whole Hamas thing started, and the ANC started these cases and this and the other, this anti-Semitism has, has become widespread in other. Mm-hmm. Now, my problem with all these people who say these things and even go internationally with them is that when you sit down and ask for measurement, where are the statistics to pick up this thing? Yeah. There's none. But these things are highly inflammatory. Yeah. You go to Hrobla's dad yeah. recently. I'm talking last yeah. week, Richard. Yeah. The case uh, of the security guard, yeah. Now, it was an interesting thing that the chef, the security, and I, and I don't want to trivialize anybody's misfortune, but the security guard was at work, black security guard was at work, employed by a white guy, guarding a tower, a cell phone tower from what I gather, but he was found to be drunk at work, taken to the office, and there was an altercation in the office, and he got beaten up. Now the topic changes. The white people there, once these white white owners of the company beat up the security guard are arrested, these ones come with apartheid flags to protest and to beat up the police. Now all of these things conflate the issue that there was a workplace conflict which is governed by specific laws, mm-hmm. and we need to know the truth. We have not yet heard the truth as to what happened. Now what busy now dealing with this flag we're dealing now with a new case where a police officer was grabbed and thrown to the ground by a thug with the previous case that was still under investigation. Mm. Now, all of this I'm trying to say, are we so quick to confuse the progress we're supposed to, to be making in South Africa yeah. with far-fetched racial conflict? Yeah. Far-fetched racial conflict. Yeah. Okay, so what... uh, that cannot withstand any type of scrutiny in terms of evidence. Yeah. Okay. And to me, that is where now the whole issue of reconciliation and the rainbow nation has fallen apart and probably completely. fallen apart completely. Yeah. The fact that we can sit in restaurants next to white people and all that does not, not mean that it. we are reconciled. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That is, as you said, another topic altogether. But what you are pointing out is that even when people exaggerate statistics, such as almost 100 uh, uh, incidents of farm attacks have happened, uh, and I think about 30 murders, I stand to be corrected, it does not constitute a genocide. It's criminal, but it's not a genocide. So even when politicians start to use highly emotive terms like that, it is a form of political manipulation. So as we go into this election, very briefly, how can people just make sure that they hold politicians accountable and we just don't have men and women making speeches just to control the minds of the electorate with falsehoods? Uh, Because we no longer have time, I'll just make one suggestion. A lot of the times, especially in local areas, don't elect people you know they are not people of integrity. Just don't elect people who are known to be people. I mean, 
when we elected Jacob Zuma the first time, he was swimming in in in, in scandals, mm. and a lot of the other guys uh, are swimming in scandals as we speak. Yet we want to vote for them. And my view is that these guys who already have a track record of lack of integrity, let's not vote for them. Right. And I think that's the best place to leave it. Sandy Leswana, a political and governance analyst who is at the Witz School of Governance, just giving us a few handy tips how you decipher truth from fiction in an election year. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.